Amen. Good morning. Thanks for joining us this morning for worship. We're in the Gospel of Luke, been in this journey for, uh, oh boy, 16 months, 14 months, I don't know. It's been a while. We're, we're nearing the end, though. This morning we're going to be in the end of chapter 23 and into chapter 24 a little bit. So as you grab a Bible there and turn, uh, let me begin. One of the, the greatest problems that was facing scientists and engineers in in the space race of the 1950s and early 60s was, was centered on getting the, the space traveler through the atmosphere and then getting them back home through the atmosphere. Uh, once they solved the problem of actually getting the spacecraft and occupants safely out of the atmosphere, then the next logical issue is how do we get them home how do we, and, and bring them home safely? That was the issue that took many years to solve during that time. Uh, one of my favorite movies is Apollo 13 with Tom Hanks. I've, I can watch that over and over, I feel like. And if you remember that real-life issue of uh, that, that space mission, it took off, everything went well and left uh, Earth's orbit, and, and then an, an oxygen tank explodes, and then everything's called off, and they have to then figure out how are they going to get them home safely, you know? And, and the climax is when they safely make it through the Earth's atmosphere and land safely. Now, why do I share this story? Because I, I think, at least in my mind, it combines both Christmas and the resurrection. We're less of the week away from Christmas when God sent his son on a mission to earth. And it would seem like an art, from our vantage point that that would be the most daunting part of God's mission was getting Jesus to earth. And he would, he would be the God of the universe and he would send his son down to earth and he sent him as a, as a baby. It seemed far-fetched from our understanding. How would even anyone believe that he was God coming in as a baby? But they do. They believe the word of God. They listen to God's word and, and they come and worship. But as already been said this morning, if we stop there, if we just stop at Christmas, we're still under the wrath of God. We can't only have Christmas, even though it's, it's an enjoyable holiday to celebrate, it wouldn't be very enjoyable if it was, that was it. How would God solve the issue of, of getting his son back to heaven? And, and he decides it's through death. Through death was God's plan. And how does that work? Well, when we think of death, we think of death as a one-way ticket. Like going into a cave that only has one entrance and no exit. Death seems so, so final, so real, so tragic. But God solved the problem of death by having his perfect son die for the sins of man and then raising him again to life. Paving the way for us to have eternal life also. So today is a special day. It's been said already. I've been looking forward to today. Today is Resurrection Sunday. Right? He has risen. All right, that was really sad. You, you, you don't want to say it on Easter, right? He has risen. Amen. Praise the Lord. He has risen indeed. And we get to remember Easter today, just six days before Christmas. And today is also special because this Sunday, like every other Sunday, is Resurrection Sunday. You know, that's why we worship on Sunday. That's why the church began that tradition soon after. We gather this morning because we believe that Jesus Christ was literally and physically resurrected from the dead. We believe it. And that's why we gather every Sunday. We don't think it's an idle tale. We don't think it's some analogy that we have to try to figure out on ourselves. We believe Jesus Christ was physically and literally murdered, that he was killed, that he was in the grave from Friday until Sunday morning. And on Sunday morning, he physically rose from the dead. 
we believe that and we embrace that and we understand that there's big implications because of that. And so we gather each Sunday to sing about that, to pray to him, to listen to the word preached, to worship together. And we do this every Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, because Jesus rose from the grave. Today, like every Sunday, is Resurrection Sunday. So we're going to dive into this last section of Luke. um, And here's the main idea. We'll put it on the screen here. We're going to continue this journey. The darkness that filled Friday was shattered when Jesus arose vindicated on Sunday. Two points this morning. Two points, the body in the tomb and the beginning of life. If you're taking notes, the second point is much longer than the first, okay? So leave plenty of space. The first one's just a short one. We're going to camp out, though, in the, in the first 12 verses of chapter 24. And if you've been reading, we've encouraged you to read the text ahead of time. We, we had scheduled out the sermon schedule, and then I called it an audible, and I changed it. So we're, we were supposed to finish Luke this morning, and I'm, I'm saying no. So we're going to stop at verse 24, or excuse me, verse 12 of chapter 24, and we're not going to come back until January, and we'll finish the chapter in one sermon in January. But we're going to look at these verses, Luke 23, verse 50, through Luke 24, verse 12. So first point, the body in the tomb. Look at verse 50. Now there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man who had not consented to, the de- to their decision and action, and he was looking for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. And then he took it down and wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid it in a tomb cut in stone where no one had been ever laid. It was a day of preparation. The Sabbath was beginning. The women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then he returned and prepared spices and ointments. On the Sabbath, they rested according to the commandment. The beginning, at the end of this chapter, we learn about another Joseph. At the beginning of the Gospels, we, 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 we learn of a different Joseph, the father of Jesus. But this Joseph is different, and he, he's the Joseph that will bury the Son of God. This Joseph realized that both logic and loyalty demanded that he confess his faith in the truth of Jesus' claim and publicly now associate himself with Jesus. From what Luke's saying, he's going against the Sanhedrin. He didn't consent. Whether he was there, we don't know. You know, it was in the middle of the night. We're not sure where Joseph was. But now, right now, he's publicly going against the Sanhedrin. Now was the time for him to step out in humiliation. He had to humble himself to the point to say, they were wrong. This is what we're to do now. He didn't agree, and now he steps out, and, and there's, I'm sure, consequences for him doing this. One of them is he, he gives up his, his uh, grave plot. Grave plots were very expensive, but stone caves were even more expensive. And so it was common to find a number of little small areas of pockets where bodies would be placed. In fact, most criminals that died on the cross and crucifixion were just tossed aside afterwards. So the... the, the the idea that Joseph and the women go and gather the body was significant. It was a rare thing for a man to be wealthy enough to have his own private cave for burial. But for Joseph, he donates his own cave to the burial of his Lord. This is significant, as I said, a man who was a Sanhedrin. But he didn't want to go along with what they had done. A man who made his income 
from serving the Jewish people, purchased a tomb for his Lord. He was a hidden believer, but now made public, and I'm sure his life was forever changed. The, the history of Joseph is full of instruction and encouragement. It shows us that Christ has friends of whom the church knows very little or anything about. Friends who profess less than some others do, but friends who in real love and affection give to the ministry of the Lord. Even when you fail at standing up for Christ, he continues to give you opportunities to be faithful. Even when faith is weak, our love can be warm, and we see that in the example of Joseph. At the end of this chapter, we see the end. The, the horrific day that we looked at last week is over. And now Christianity stands or falls on what's going to happen next. See, without the resurrection, there is no Christianity. Without the resurrection, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians, we're fools. But Luke's not done. Look at number two, the beginning of life. Verse one, but on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. When they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to, and to all the rest. That was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other woman with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale. And they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen clothes by themselves and went home marveling at what had happened. As we read other gospel accounts in the gospel of Mark, chapter 16, one of the things that, that stands out is that as they're walking to the tomb that morning, as the ladies were going, they're, they're talking about what are they going to do about the large rock. Okay? That's their concern. It's a natural concern. What are we going to do? We're, gonna, we're, we're going to anoint the body of Jesus, but how are we going to roll away this huge rock that's been placed as the cover and the door of the tomb? They're consumed and concerned about that. What they fail to remember is that the, the tomb wasn't only sealed, but it was guarded. They didn't even think about that. But when they get there, the stone is rolled away, and they look inside, and Jesus' body is gone. Now, I don't want to dismiss the sincerity of these ladies here. Their love and devotion to Jesus is, is admirable. But they are living, understandably, in unbelief. Part of their journey, part of their mission was based upon their unbelief. They, they're living in unbelief. They, they didn't listen to what Jesus had said to them and to the others. They go to the tomb that morning and expect to find the body of Jesus and he's not there. They were there, Luke says, just a couple days earlier to take his body off the cross. Just to recognize that that probably wasn't an easy process. Most likely, Jesus' hands and feet would have been nailed to the cross and they would have flipped him over and then nailed the nail over to make sure it would stay in. 
So it was significant. It was traumatic to not only watch their Lord die in this horrific way, but then when he was dead, to, to take him off the cross would have been also traumatic, significant. To try to carefully care for his body at the same time mourning his death. And these memories would be very fresh in their minds. It just happened a few hours earlier. So they came believing. They knew where the tomb was. They were there when Joseph asked for the body. They were there when it was placed into the tomb. And they believed the tomb would be full. They denied the possibility of a miracle. They, they didn't expect the miracle of resurrection. They expected to find a body. They expected to perform their duties. They believed that Jesus is among the dead. And how could they not? They, they saw this. They observed what happened to him. And yet, as we think back, you know, as all they experienced in the prior years, how could they not think it was over? That Jesus wouldn't come back. And this conflicting emotions and thoughts that was happening in their minds. And then Luke says they were shocked. I, I bet they were shocked to find it empty. And then to have two men standing in dazzling apparel, two angels shining brightly, dressed as white light to shock the eyes. They weren't expecting this. But not only the, the women, but the disciples don't believe either when the women come back to tell them all, all that they had seen. They, they don't believe. Can we pause just for a moment and put ourselves in the position of these women? You know, they come to the tomb expecting it to be sealed, worried that they won't be able to roll away the stone. And as they approach, they find out the tomb is actually open. And as they walk in, there's no body. And their minds and hearts begin to race to find answers to what's happened now. Jesus is supposed to be there. I'm supposed to do this work. And they can't understand what's happening. And there's two angels there. And they're there on purpose to teach them. To, to direct their hearts and their minds to truth. And the women were, were really treating Jesus just like every other leader, every other person that they've ever met. And what the angels are basically saying to us and to them is if you treat Jesus as if he's like every other founder of every other religion, or if you treat him just like a good teacher, then the truth he shared keeps going, but he doesn't. And you won't find Jesus. You won't understand who he is. You'll never see Jesus. You'll never understand why he came. But friends, Jesus isn't like those other religious founders. He's not like those other teachers. Buddha is dead. Muhammad is dead. Nero is dead. Constantine is dead. But Jesus isn't like them. Jesus is God. He isn't dead. He's alive. And the angels are making a brand new category for their mind. See, before that day, when people died, they didn't rise again. They didn't come back to life. They're gone. And that's what the women think when they approach the tomb. Tombs are for dead people. This tomb is for Jesus, but Jesus isn't there. He's gone. And they say he's alive. He conquered death, and the angels are there to direct them to understand that Jesus isn't some plain, ordinary teacher. He isn't just some religious leader for looking for a following. He's different. He isn't just a man. He was God in the flesh. But there's yet, there's still more. The woman, as they approach the angels, verse 5, as they, they, they see it, they're frightened, and they bowed their faces to the ground. Now, we just need to pause right there and just note this, that no one can look at the glory of even an angel and remove on their, remain on their feet. They bow down. So, 
We see this over and over in the scriptures. So just acknowledge that. What will it be like when we see the glory of God? Tremendous. At the, at the glory of angels, they bow down. But someday we will stand and see the glory of God. And then they ask this question in verse 5. And I love it. Why do you seek the living among the dead? That's a, it's a big question. A, kind of a disturbing question, really. It's like going to a scrapyard looking for a new car or going to the morgue to find a date. It's grotesque. It doesn't make sense. That's how they're, they're viewing this. See, it's clear that these women were here to see a dead man. And we don't stop by a gravesite to have a chat with living people. They had seen Jesus die. They'd, they were careful in taking him off the cross. Their minds were on death. But it's clear from the angel's question that they won't find Jesus among the dead. They, they shouldn't think of Jesus as dead. And then their next statement, their teaching statement, verse 6, he is not here, but has risen. All life that is lived apart from the resurrection is really just a slow death. And so many people simply live to die, and yet some are dying to live. But the resurrection means you live to live. We don't visit tombs to meet with God. Tombs are for dead people. We visit the Alpha Omega, the resurrection and the life. And these, these questions not only direct their hearts, but they're teaching them. The, the fr- friends, the, the, the angels are teaching them the word. You, you can't miss this. See, ever since creation, mankind has needed God to explain the world to them. We have never been able to know God unless he speaks to us. And so imagine the, the range of emotions these women and the disciples are experiencing over these days. They're mourning, they're wondering, they're fearful. With all the swirling emotions, they're, they're tempted to interpret everything through their feelings and their emotions. And we can feel so deeply that we give our feelings and our emotions the last word that dictates our life. We can say to others and and really to ourselves, I don't care what they say or what the facts are or what the Bible says. I know how I feel. And we allow feelings and emotions to dictate then how we live. And there's people today that that function that way. People today that, that function that way with church. They want an event. They want feelings. They want emotions. They want excitement. They want enthusiasm. But friends, How utterly worthless is your emotional response if you don't understand what is actually being presented? How pointless is it all if you don't actually understand what's happening? See, coming back to this, these women stumble upon the resurrection of the Lord and they don't understand it. They need to be taught. They need the word given to them. And they're no different than us. If someone didn't teach you the significance of what it is and why it happened, then all you would have is your feelings and your emotions. And feelings can be very poor indicators of truth. If you don't believe me, come spend some time in my house with four daughters. And me, frankly. Feelings can be poor indicators of truth. That's why it's vital 
Friends, it's vital for you to sit under the teaching and preaching of God's word each week. We can be led astray by our subjective emotions. Recognizing that they're not all bad, but our subjective emotions have to be led and taught by the object of truth, God's word. We have to be taught what God's word says. We have to be taught what the word means. You can't just have an experience and not the explanation. I mean, this is the best example to I hope to drill it down in our minds and our hearts. Friends, the empty tomb isn't enough for them. Walking in and seeing Jesus gone wasn't enough for them to understand. They didn't understand it. The men won't understand. The women stumble upon an empty tomb and they don't get it. They need to be taught what the word says. I mean, what would happen if the angels weren't there to teach them when they see the empty tomb? they would have ran back and they would have told everyone, someone took his body, right? That's the natural thought. Someone stole Jesus' body, it was stolen. And they go based upon their feelings and emotions in that moment. And the angels are there to teach them. And so that's why as Christians, we, we give our lives to study the word of God, to learn it, to know it, to apply it. That's why we have equipping classes on Sunday morning at 9.15. We don't do this to fill another hour of your time. Okay, if we weren't convinced of this, we'd just have donut time, we'd have fellowship and just have a good old time. Okay, we do this on purpose. We have children's classes so that we can fill the minds of our kids of what God's word says. They can apply it to their hearts. We're convinced of this, that we need to study and apply God's word. So, so we give two and a half hours a week to gather and do this. We do this because we need to study the word. We need the word to speak to us. And that's why we have teachers who, who sacrifice time throughout the week to prepare to teach your kids. And we have other adults teaching equipping classes for adults so that you can understand God's word, to, to give explanation of God's word. So that's why it's important for you to be here, to learn, to study, to apply this to your life. And if you're a visitor today, we have some shocking news to you. I'm going to preach probably 45 minutes, maybe longer. Because we believe the word is that important for us to understand and to apply to our life. We need the word to be taught, to unfold for us. And so friends, we all need the word preached and taught and explained. Otherwise, we would be led astray by our feelings and our emotions and example, or circumstances in our life. And the basis for the resurrection is the word of your Savior, not the depth of your emotion and how you feel. Your Christian life should be anchored by the word of God, not by the intensity of your feelings. And do you notice the word there that the angels say to them? They say, remember. Remember. Recall what Jesus said about himself. And you should never underestimate how remembering God's word will change and steady your emotions when the most tragic, when the most surprising things crash in. I mean, so many times in those situations in life, we allow the emotion, the feelings of what's happened to dictate how we respond when we as Christians just need to remember the word. 
I mean, I can think back of situations in my own life where I didn't have any answers on what to do next. But I had to choose to believe the word of God. And I'll be honest, I didn't want to. I want to believe my emotions on that situation. And I have to choose to believe his word. That's what they're saying to them. That's what they're preaching to these women. The way we live the Christian life, the way that we grow in grace is by believing the word of God. These women will not be able to understand the events of the resurrection without Jesus' words to them. And the same is for us. We don't understand life apart from the word of God. We need the word of God. We don't read the word of God through the light of life. We read our lives through the light of the word of God. The word interprets the events, the situations, the circumstances of our lives. And we read God's providence in our lives through the lens of scripture. So it's vital for us to be in the word. And, and we learn the word in community with others. Because the Christian life is not a solo event. It's not. I'm going to keep saying that until you all repeat it at some point in the future. Christian life is not a solo event. So if you're simply just coming in when you feel like it, watching service from home each week, even though you're able to come and you refuse to, you're living opposed to the example we see in Scripture. See, living the Christian life is not meant to be lived alone. It's meant to be lived in a community with others. And so we gather each week as a church family, we gather to learn together as the word is taught and and preached. So our conversation should be centered on what the Lord is teaching us through his word and our own reading and what the word's been taught in equipping classes and and what it's preached on Sunday morning. And we do that in community with one another to encourage others to help them follow Jesus. Well, friends, while we will never be in the same situation as these women looking for their Lord in a tomb, we'll most likely face times when our lives will not make sense. And I know some of you have faced this in the last few weeks and few months. And in those moments, we need to remember the things that Jesus has said for us to think about and what it means to live as disciples. If you think back, perhaps these situations in life have happened frequently and happened Closely, not too long ago, a loss or a tragedy, something that's troubled you or confused you and you couldn't figure it out and you couldn't make sense of it. And you believe in God, you want to trust him and so you believe him and yet you wrestle through what's going on. And you wrestle for days, even weeks or months or even years and what you're trying to do is you're trying to trust God. That's a good endeavor, continue to, to wrestle with him and trust him and you probably have those, those times in your life It's not that you're trying to reject his word. You're just trying to figure out what God is doing in in the midst of your life. What is God doing now? And you're sorting it out. You believe in God. You want to believe the best about him. But really the answer is coming back, as I said before, to resting in what God's word says and to believe his word. So let me give you a few examples here in Luke. When you're mocked for your religious belief and, and kids and you're in school and classmates make fun of you, Jesus said, blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your, your reward is great in heaven. For so their fathers did to the prophets. When the sacrifice seems too high in your life, too steep, 
when you have to turn down that job advancement because it would take you away from regular church attendance and service. Jesus said in Luke 9, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. And so we let the word interpret our life. When the suffering comes over and over and over and the loss of life and friends and you're praying and asking God for help, Jesus said, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? How much more God will supply and give to you? We need to remember the word of God. And the angels are preaching to these women and they're preaching to us this morning that you won't get assurance until you remember Jesus' words because Jesus' words, God's words, are life-giving and faith-producing in the midst of trials and suffering. It's resting in what he says to you through his word. And, And we say, Lord, I remember what you said. I remember what you said to me in your word. It's not that you understand everything in that situation or even have all the answers, but you're resting not in your feelings and emotions and translating that, but you're resting in God's word. And maybe it's a, a passage that you've, you've read a thousand times, but today it makes sense and it, and it sinks deep within you. And the word of God has, has interpreted your life back to you and suddenly you're able to, to rest in God's providence because God's word interprets the events of your life, not the other way around. See, if we allowed the events of our lives to dictate what we thought about God, then we would have some really bad theology. We go back to the word. And so the angels say to the woman, if you're, if you're going to understand, if you're going to respond to the resurrection in the right way, you have to remember the words of Jesus. For you to understand who God is and what the resurrection means for you, you have to know the word. You have to be in the word. You can't just trust your feelings. You have to trust the word of God. Now, when the angels are, are there with the women, they inform them of the resurrection. And, and the question to them is, is why they don't believe. He's, they say he's resurrected. And it's a, a, in, in, in essence, why don't you believe the resurrection? Why didn't you expect it? They're questioning in some ways. Why didn't they expect Jesus to come back to life? And they don't expect it because they don't understand his death yet. See, right away he tells them, remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. You see the word must? We always need to take notice when we see the word must in Scripture. He must be delivered. He must suffer. He must die. He must be raised. All the verbs are passive. These are things that that men are doing to Jesus, not the things Jesus does to himself. But the word must tells us someone else is acting in and through and behind sinful men. And and really what we're seeing here is providence and what God's doing in the situation. The invisible hand of God is bringing these events to fruition. It's all according to his plan. Now let's put this where we all can understand. Frankly, most people that come to church on an Easter Sunday to hear a sermon would like to believe in the the miracle of resurrection. They want to believe that Jesus died and that he was raised. They they like to retell the story. They like the symbols of Easter. They, They like to teach it to their kids and to remember. But somewhere along the way, they forget that Jesus had to die. It's not just a nice story to remember and to talk about. Jesus had to die. 
And here, the women don't understand this. They, they know that Jesus died, but they don't fully understand that he had to die. And it's significant. This is why the angels say, you know that Jesus had to die. And what does it mean? They knew that he, he died for them in some general way. They know that he suffered. They know that he suffered possibly as a, as a kind of example that he held his integrity, that he submitted to the trial, that he was quiet and allowed them to, to beat him. He, they knew that he loved him, they loved them. And, and because of that love, they're completely crushed when they see him breathe his last and, and die on the cross. They loved him. And they understand that, that he did this for them. They just don't understand why. Why did Jesus die? Do you know why Jesus died on that Friday? See, his death wasn't just an example for us. It wasn't just an example that we can emulate. It wasn't just a, a way to combat the authorities, to teach some lesson to those that were following. You see, if all they know is that Jesus was a good man and a righteous man and he died showing them something that all they have to do now with their lives is try to, to emulate him in some way, to honor him in some way, they, they don't understand then why he must die. See, Jesus didn't die on Friday to be an example for us. Their service for him means nothing if his death means nothing. His death means something. I share this, I've shared it a few times, but we have a child, I know I've shared this story. We have a child, and I won't say who it is, but whenever Easter would roll around, this child would get really upset, really distraught, fearful even. One time this child passed out during the story of Jesus' crucifixion. Sorry for the preschool teachers that were there as she fainted. Remember, Katie and I having this conversation with this child over and over. It happened multiple years during Easter. Why is this child getting so upset every time the crucifixion is mentioned? Blood is mentioned and they're, they're out. And we were visiting Hinson Baptist actually a long time ago when we're in the service and at Hinson they have the old school numbers on the screen, you know. You'd ever see that in a church where they have a small number and when they give you the, the number for a kid and you don't, as you're coming as adults, you don't ever want to see that number, you know. Because when everyone sees a number, then they look around and say, all right, who's getting up? And our number came up. And it was only Madeline. So, I, I, you know, Katie's like, you're going back. And I go back there. And, and again, you know, new teachers were just visiting this church. And they, the teachers are all concerned because Madeline had fallen out of her. Oh, I said who it was. Sorry. <laughs> She's not here. It's okay. She had fallen out of the, her seat. You know, the story of the crucifixion. We're talking about what Christ had done. And she's distraught, and I, and I pull her out and sit down on the stairs, and she's scared, just fearful, and the teachers are nervous. I'm like, it's okay, you know, we've had this happen a few times. And, and tears streaming on her face, and her response is, I have to do this. You know, Jesus did this for sin, and, I, and she knew she was a sinner, and I, I'm going to have to do this. And I'm like, oh, sweetie, No. See, he didn't, he didn't die on the cross as an example for us that we would have to do this someday. No, he did it for you. It wasn't just something to emulate. 
He died for you, and, and now you can trust in him and believe in him. He died to pay for your sins so that you would never have to do this. And to be able to explain to her the gospel as we sat on those stairs. See, it was natural there for her to think and recognize, I'm a sinner, and if Jesus did this, then I have to do this. And to be able to open up her mind and so because Jesus did this, you won't ever have to do this. You trust in him and you believe in him. See, Jesus didn't come as an example to show us how we can get to heaven. No, to say that Jesus' death on that Friday is just an example, but that he had to die as a sacrifice means that all of your serving is never good enough. You're too sinful. You're too lost. You're too guilty. He had to die, and he had to die for you. He had to die for me. Do you understand that Jesus had to die in that day? Do you believe that Jesus had to die for you? Or do you believe, are you convinced that you're a good person, that you pay your taxes, that you don't, you don't look to hurt people, you just want to raise good kids, you want to be nice to people, that that should be good enough? And you think, yeah, you know, Jeff, I'm just trying to live the right way. I'm trying to, f- to be a faithful employee. I'm trying to raise my family well. That should be enough to pass on to this life. You think, I can just do enough. And in that, friends, you just want to still obey the law. You still want the law. You, you want to try to obey, to try to do, to try to earn. And see, the questions from the angels turn these women away from the law and turn them to the gospel. It turns them to the good news of the crucifixion, of the burial, and now the resurrection of Jesus. The death, the burial, and resurrection frees us from keeping the law in order to be right with God because Christ fulfilled the law in our place because we couldn't do it. And so now, as Christians, we have freedom to obey him, not to earn salvation, but to, to, to show worship and love and adoration to him of what he's done for us. And this is littered throughout the New Testament. Jesus teaches about himself in Matthew five seventeen. Do not think I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And then Paul teaches us this in Romans, Romans 1, 17. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. In many ways, the remainder of the book of Romans simply expands in this truth that I just read. Romans 10, 4, Christ is the end of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Romans 4, 25, he was delivered over to death for our sins and raised to life for our justification. The resurrection turns us from law-trying people to gospel-believing people. The resurrection turns us from self-righteousness to trust in Jesus' righteousness. The resurrection turns us from trying to earn God's favor and love by our good deeds to freely accepting God's love as a gift through faith in his son. The resurrection turns from the death that the law requires to eternal life that Jesus purchased for us. See, friends, the resurrection changes us. And and every day, friends, every day, every moment of life can be a turning again, a revealing again, a self-orienting to the gospel. 
to remember the gospel is to remind ourselves of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So your flesh wants you to justify yourself in your work and your obedience. But you will never find peace that way. You will only find misery. You have to live in the finished work of Jesus. You have to rest there. You have to remember what Jesus cried out on the cross. It is finished. You can do nothing else to add to that work. He did it all. It is finished. Nothing more important in the Christian life than remembering the gospel and remembering what Christ has done for us. And one of our greatest challenges as Christians is keeping the truth of our Lord in the uppermost of our minds. Because what happens in our minds is it begins to leak. That truth just leaks out. And we want to believe that we somehow have to earn our way. And we forget and we wander and we stray away. And so it's, it's vital for us to keep our eyes and our ears and our minds on the word of God. To remind ourselves of what the gospel is. To rehearse the gospel. To glory in that. May that fill your car ride home. Remembering the gospel. One to another what Christ has done for us. Because these women, they came to the tomb. They thought about the law. They, they re- what it required, what the law forbid. But the question from the angels was, why do you look for the living among the dead? And they soon discover that even though they came looking to fulfill the law, they leave now forgiven, justified because of what Christ had done for them. Christ fulfilled the law. The angels say, no, that's not enough. You come to the tomb to anoint the body, to remember the death of Jesus. It isn't enough. There's a difference. Do you see it? Before the women understand what the angels said, before their theology was corrected, before they were told of the resurrection, before they were told of why Jesus' death, they were serving, they were striving, they were trying to earn. They're trying to earn their way to heaven. They're trying to live a good life, trying to show honor and respect to their teacher. It was a funeral for them. And they're walking slowly. They, they, they see death hovering above them. They're trying to be good people, trying to honor this person that they loved and respected. And then things change when they understand the gospel. Do you see what happens when they understand the gospel? They run to tell others. That's the effect of the gospel. It, de- it sinks deeper within their hearts. They believe it and they go and tell. I mean, that's what we're looking for, for fruit in those that say, I believe in Jesus. I think a good right response to someone that says, I believe in Jesus, will say, let's wait and see. What's the response? Because the response for Christians is, I want to tell others. This is the best news in the world. Is the gospel the best news in the world to you, friends? They're doing this no longer. They're not looking to serve. They're not trying to earn their way. They go and tell the disciples. And what do the disciples do? Verse 10. Luke tells us who was there because this is important. Just in case you question what happened, you could go talk to him. He says, Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James and the other woman who told these things to the apostles. But verse 11, but these words seemed to them, to the, to the disciples, an idle tale and they did not believe them. Men, listen to women. That's not all you can learn, but it might help you once in a while. These men don't listen. All this, I, got, I lost all the women now, didn't I? 
These disciples react like the world. They reject this news. And they nearly miss the greatest news in the world. That God is faithful. They found it so difficult to believe the Lord's words about the resurrection. But it will be further explained in the remainder of chapter 24. But Peter, verse 12, Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloth by himself, and he went home marveling at what had happened. See, Peter wasn't satisfied. I don't think he believed them. He had to see for themselves. If you remember Peter's last interaction with his Lord, I'm sure that was weighing on him. He knows what he had done. He denied his Lord. He had vested interest to see if Jesus is really alive. And he runs to the tomb. And then the grave closed. Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping in, looking in, and he saw the linen cloths by themselves. The, the witness, the silent witness of the grave clothes. So he doesn't, he doesn't believe, he has to see, and he gets there and he sees nothing but the grave clothes. And Peter sees these and he goes away marveling. I wonder what he was marveling about, what he was wondering. There's no body there. There's, and the body had not been stolen. Okay, I know that it had been stolen. We believe that, but he didn't believe the body was stolen. You know why? Because when thieves come in, they wouldn't strip him naked. They would leave the clothes on. But we learn from other gospel accounts that his clothes are there, neatly folded. And Peter left wondering, pondering what this meant. Now, it's very possible that you're here this morning, you're in the very same position as these men and women. You're around Jesus, and you don't get it. You're trying to earn your way. You're trying to live a good life. You, you, you really just want to do the law. But Christ came to fulfill the law so that you can be free. You can be saved. And you can have everlasting life without the burden of the law. And you can get Christ. This is what the resurrection is all about. This is what Christmas and the resurrection is all about. I know I've shared this parable before, written by Homer. It's a short one. It's of, of a fox traveling along a forest path, winding in and out through trees, and finally the fox finds himself at the entrance of a dark cave where he says it's visible to see many footprints going in and none coming out. And from the darkness of the cave, there's a voice that calls out, come in, come in here. But the fox says, no, I see many footprints going in, but I don't see any footprints coming out. I don't want to go in. And friends, this is a picture of death. Generation after generation going in and no one coming out. You think back all in our history of the world, the wisest people ever known, presidents, religious leaders, prophets, dictators, rulers, kings, all enter. Buddha entered. Muhammad entered. None of them came out. But Jesus came out. And that's why I want to listen to him. That's why he's the most important person to listen to. I want to follow him. I want to serve him. I want to listen to every word he spoke to us because Jesus came out. He left the darkness. He's the only one, friends. He's the only one that went in and came back out. And he shows us that this world doesn't have all the answers. He teaches us that there's so much more to this life here on earth. There's more to this life. The the resurrection from the dead is proof for us. And friend, if you're here this morning, you're not a Christian, 
you are welcome here every morning, every week when we gather. If you're not trusting in Christ, you can live today in the reality of the resurrection too. This, this gospel is for you too. See, right now, God's law requires that you die for your sin. Death is the penalty for sin. Death is the agonizing judgment, a curse from God, an enemy that separates those who die in sin from God forever. And that's the bad news. But the good news is that Jesus lived the perfectly obedient life to God that you couldn't live. That's how he became our righteousness, that Jesus died and suffered God's wrath and judgment in our place on the cross. That's how he takes away our sin and our guilt. And then three days later, God raised Jesus from the death to prove that he accepted Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf. And now God the Father calls everyone to repent of their sins, of believing in themselves, and to trust in his Son as Savior in order that they would be resurrected from death, forgiven of sin, made alive again through faith, and to live eternally with God forever. And friends, this is good news. This is the best news. All who trust in Jesus, even if they die, will live again in the power of the resurrection. We will live again with God. It is only the resurrection of Jesus that can give us hope for this life and hope for the next life. It is the anchor of our hope. And we're going to sing about that here in a moment. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my comforter, my all. And here in the love of Christ, I stand. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much that we can celebrate Christmas We thank you, God, that our world, our world pauses to celebrate Christmas, even though many have no idea what that means. And yet you've given us, as believers, opportunities to share with them, to turn their eyes to what it really means. Father, I pray that we would do that with grace and patience and love. May we not be arrogant Christians that look down in this world that don't understand what Christmas is about. But may we be loving and gracious. May we remember who we were before you saved us. We thank you that Christmas points us to Easter. The infinite becomes infant so that we could know you, that you would come and die for us and rise again the third day to ascend to the right hand of God forever. So God, help us to be faithful with your word. May we read it and study it and live it. And may we do it together as a church family. It's for your glory alone, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.